Sometimes in our lives and in our culture, we can forget what the church is for. Sometimes we can think that it's, that it's here to serve us, those of us who are members, like, like it's a club. You know, I don't know if any of you uh, have ever been a member of a, of, a, of a true country club, but when you walk in, you, you expect to be served, right? You expect to be seated in the dining room and, and have your meal brought to you. Sometimes, sometimes we think that the church um, is just basically another social organization to do social good in the world. I, I have a friend who's, who's struggling right now with her congregation because that's basically all the congregation, including the pastor, sees themselves as. And here's the thing. If the church is just offering what, what the Rotary Club offers or whatever, you know, whatever the next service club in town has to offer, if that's all the church is offering, guess what? People are going to go somewhere else. They're not going to come to church. We forget sometimes what church is for. And what I want to tell you is, is that this church and every Bible-believing church is here to support you and to love you and to provide for you and your family's spiritual needs. We're here to help you discover what the Bible says about God and what His plan is for your life. The church is not a building, as beautiful as the building may be. And it's, and it's not a club, and it's, and it's not a clique. The church is to be made up of the people. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. is the believers inside the church. Believers like you, like me. People. Broken people. Hurting people. Sinful people who are looking for purpose and for authentic relationships and for support and for hope. You know, it's easy right now for us to feel hopeless in the world around us, isn't it? I mean, the world can feel like that it has gone absolutely sideways. I was talking to Audrey yesterday, and, and I was saying, you know, I'm not sure that I've changed all that much. But, but the world has moved and shifted around me in such a way that, that it, it, it can feel like I'm the one who's changed. Last week... Together, we were in the book of Haggai at the end of the exile, looking at the people of God sitting in the ruins of Jerusalem, sitting in the ruins of the temple, and they weren't working to rebuild the temple. They weren't looking forward to what God had in store for them. Even though they had come home from the exile, they were still living as people without hope. Then Haggai shows up, and Zechariah shows up, and Zerubbabel shows up, and applies a little bit of boot. Did they have boots? Sandal to the posterior. Get it going. Live as people of hope. And see, here's the thing. Our hope, 
Our hope is found only in God, specifically in Jesus and in what he has done and is doing and will do in our lives. Our hope is a hope that things don't have to remain the same tomorrow as they are today. It's a hope that broken things can be mended, that dead things can come back to life. It's a hope, a sure hope. A hope that's as sure as the fact that a ball that is thrown up will come down. A hope that we are loved by our creator. Dr. Timothy George is the the dean emeritus of the seminary at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Amazing man. One of these who is able to balance scholarship with a pastor's heart. who's able to just turn out some of the most amazing scholarship on church history that we've had over the last generation, and at the same time, who can get in front of a group of people and preach as a man on fire. He tells the story that was told to him by one of his seminary professors. This seminary professor of Dr. George's was, was preaching in a small rural church in Louisiana during the Depression. It was, it was the time when electricity was just coming to places like that. And so this small rural church had one little light bulb hanging in the middle of the room. That light bulb was to light up the whole sanctuary. And so for probably one of the first times in the history of this church, they were listening to preaching after dark. And halfway through this young man's sermon, the electricity went out. And the room went dark. And being a a young preacher who was in seminary himself, he had no idea what to do, and so he stumbled around in the dark both literally and figuratively. Finally, one of the elderly deacons called out from the back of the church, Preach on, preacher! We can still see Jesus in the dark. You know, in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. The prelude to John, we're we're told that the light has come into the world and it beats back the darkness. It's, It's why we light this candle every Sunday to remind us of the presence of God's light in the world. It's Jesus that both illuminates our lives and with his searing light exposes the places in our hearts that need to be brought into the light and restored. It's this illuminating and healing hope of Jesus. It can be found throughout Scripture. Today we're going to look at three specific points together. Three specific places where we see this hope. First, we're going to see that God loves you with a a never-ending love. Second, we're going to see that God has a plan for your life. And third, we're going to see that you can do anything through his strength. We're going to hear three passages of scripture today that are often ripped from context. And while we don't have time today to place each one of them fully in context, each one of them, we're going to do our best 
to see that when we place them back into context, the fullness of their promise for us becomes clearer. And so we're going to start this morning in Romans chapter 8. This is our primary text for the day. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 37. Will you stand with me as we read together? No. In all these things we are conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, no power, no height, no depth, no any created thing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word, the promise of God. Read it, live it, and believe it. Let's pray. Dear God, as we continue our time in your word this morning, I just pray that we would see your hope, see your promises to us, shine out to us as a light in the darkness. We open your word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, the, all three passages, not least of which this passage from Romans, um, is often used and sort of ripped from context. And I want you to remember that as I've said before, context is king. And so we're going we're gonna to try and put him back into context. See, this passage of Romans is located in what might be between what might be the two most important chapters in Romans, between Romans 8 and Romans 9. And depending on what type of church you grew up in, you might have gotten more emphasis on Romans 8 or on Romans 9. See, Romans 8 begins to bring together and ties together all the things that Paul has been saying about the problem of sin in the world and in our lives, and that the solution to that problem is in Christ. And Romans 9 is this amazing treatise from Paul on God's selection of his people and the justice of God in that. That God has the power, the ability, and the sovereignty to choose his people. And so in between... Romans 8 and Romans 9 is is this statement about God's love. And so, I hope that we have hope in God's never-ending love. That we have hope in God's never-ending love. As we turn to this statement on God's never-ending unstoppable love, let's, let's remember... Who Paul is writing to. He's writing to the church in Rome. To the church that is in the very capital, the very seat, the very heart of the Roman Empire. The the one place in the whole empire where it's most likely for you to be persecuted as a Christian. You know, once you get out into the 
the, the, the hinterlands, the, the hold of the law is a little less strict, right? That's always been the case. It's why border areas are always rife with scum and villainy and bootleggers and Baptist preachers. See, this community in Rome is a community that's only recently been reunited. See, there's a, there's, remember the fire? There's a fire in Rome that destroys most of the city. And after that, what happens is Nero kicks people out. He kicks the Jews out of Rome. He blames the Jews for the fire. And so the, the community, the Christian community, is divided. The Gentile believers stay in Rome. The Jewish believers have to leave Rome. And then eventually they're able to come back. And so Rome is written, Romans is written to a community that, that has been separated. And in that separation have sort of lost touch with each other, lost, lost the central facet of the gospel. And it's a community that's facing enormous uncertainty and persecution. You know, as we started this morning, the way we read it from the Christian standard has that first word of verse 37 as no, which is a perfectly fine and legitimate translation. But another way that that word can be translated is but. And the great thing about a word like but is it makes you go back and look at the words that were right before it, right? Because here's the thing. If, if you were to say, I love you, but... You want to look back, right? Or, or I find you really annoying, but... That but has a lot of, a lot of power. If we look back at Romans 8.36, we see Paul quoting from Psalm 44. He says this, As it is written, because of you, we are being pert to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. This is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about us. He's talking about the church. He's talking about believers. We are facing death all day, every day. We're being counted as sheep to the slaughter, but... That but's important, isn't it? But. But what? But there's nothing. You're being counted as sheep to the slaughter, wonderful. But neither life nor death can separate you from God. You're, 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 facing, you're facing persecution from the Roman rulers, great, but not, neither angels, messengers from God, or Roman rulers can separate you from God. You're, you're concerned about the things that are coming down the road, wonderful, great, but not things right now or things in the future can separate you from God. You're, you're concerned about the way the world is running, the, the powers of the world, the, the regime, as some folks have started to call it, great, wonderful. But it cannot separate you from the love of God. You, you want to have a mountaintop experience or you're in the depth of depression, fine. But height nor depth can separate you from the love of God. In fact, no created thing can separate us from the love of God. You see, all of those things 
Roman rulers, heights, depths, powers, life, death, all of those are created things. Created things. Created by whom? Created by God. See, this, this statement from Paul, we, we can read it and then we can turn it into this sort of, oh, God loves me and isn't that wonderful? But it's this powerful and profound statement on God's sovereignty. Because it's saying that God is in control. Life's not in control and death is not in control. The angels aren't in control and the rulers aren't in control. Your present circumstances and your fears of the future are not in control. There's no, there's no power, political power, economic power, social power that's in control. God's in control. Not inflation. Not crime. Not not wokeism and not racism, not capitalism and not socialism, not democracy, not authoritarianism, nothing, nothing, nothing is in control other than God. Not one thing, not one person, not any ideology is in control other than God. God is in control. And if God is in control, then it means that God has a, has a plan. If God's in control, it means that God has a plan. And so we turn to another verse that is so often ripped from context, found in the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Oh, that sounds wonderful. And when we put it on our coffee mug or on our, on our little thing that we get at Hobby Lobby and stick up on our wall, right? It, it's, it's so nice and it's so comforting. Go back and read the rest of Jeremiah chapter 29. Who is God talking to? God is talking to a people who have been ripped from their homes and sent to Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 29 is this letter that, that Jeremiah writes on the behest of God to the exiles who are in Babylon. People who have seen their homes destroyed, who have seen genocide, who have seen the temple brought down and Jerusalem sacked. It, it's, not a, it's not a happy clappy time. It's not a time that produces things that we stick on coffee mugs. It's a national disaster. God has removed his protection and his restraining hand just a little bit, and the people have been taken into exile. And but what happens sometimes, right, is we pull this out and we go, oh, we, he has plans for us, wonderful, and we think that God's plans look like our plans, right? Well, I plan to do X, Y, and Z, and God has plans for me, so wonderful. I mean, he's just said that, right? I've got plans for you, for your well-being and not disaster. But he's saying it to a people who have just experienced what they could only classify as a disaster. They've lost hope. 
They thought that God had totally turned his back on them, that he had totally forgotten them. Maybe many of us feel the same way today. After two and a half years of pandemic, after what seems like decades of political and personal conflict and turmoil, after relational conflict, after devastating diagnoses, we we can wonder if God has forgotten about us. Just like the people of Judah. And yet, in in the middle of their concern, in the middle of their fear, in the middle of their doubt, they receive this letter from Jeremiah that says, you know, you think God's forgotten about you. And, and, and you think that you, you, you are sitting in the midst of disaster. But God has a plan. And God is, is doing this. And it's not a disaster. It's, it's a plan for our benefit. God places hope in the hearts of his people. Go back and read earlier parts of this letter. He, he, he tells them that, that even though you're living in a land that's not your own, even though Jerusalem has been destroyed, God is not done with you yet. He still has a plan for you, a plan to prosper and not harm. He was working for a better future for his people. Go back and, and look at verse 7 or, and, and before. Well, what does he say? He, he, he says, he says, Go and make homes and plant gardens and make families. And then he ends with this this statement that had to have been one of the most challenging things that the people of God had ever heard. He said, I want you to pursue the well-being of the city to which I have deported you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For when it thrives, you will thrive. I want you to imagine right now if, I don't know, let, let, let's, go, let's go full Wolverine here, full Red Dawn. The Chinese Communist Party troops parachute into Fairmont and they carry us off into exile to Shanghai. And we receive a letter from God that says, I want you to pray for them and see them prosper. How many of you would have a problem with that? Thank you for being honest and putting up your hands. It had to have been one of the toughest things the people of God had ever heard. But that's what he does. He, he tells them to do that. See, he was asking his people to be faithful and to plant themselves in the place where he had taken them, even though they thought they had zero chance of survival. And so wherever you find yourself today, I want to encourage you that God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for you. But here's the thing. It's not necessarily easy. We can find hope in God's all-powerful love and and in His plan for us. And and we can think sometimes then that that it's going to be easy. I I remember growing up in that that time period in the late 90s, sort of the, the height of what we might call evangelical youth group culture. 
that there was this thing where it was like, oh, God loves you and he wants what's best for you. It's so easy to be a Christian. Just pray this prayer and everything will be taken care of. You've got problems. Boy, Jesus can handle your problems. You've got a math test next week that you're concerned about. Jesus will take care of it. You've got a, you've got a girl that you like. Jesus will take care of it. This is, this is what we were given in the late 90s in youth group culture. But here's the thing. It's wrong. It came from a good place, but it's wrong. Because living the Christian life is not easy. It's no easy task. To, to live against the culture... Here's the thing. There are a lot of bohemians running around today who want to think about how countercultural they are. You know who the, the true countercultural folks are these days? Us. Christians who have a biblical worldview. You want to be hip and part of the counterculture? Buy a Bible. Read it. It's not easy to love your enemies, right? You all just admitted that. It's not easy to, to give generously. It's not easy to serve faithfully. It's not, a, it's not easy to, to, to look for and root out and kill the sins in our life. Because, because following the way of Jesus is not something that we can do on our own. Because if we try and do it on our own, we're going to be exhausted and we're going to be burned out. We've got to rely on God's strength to do it. Our strength can't save us. It can't redeem us. It can't even get us enough of a, of a bunt on the baseball to get the, the ball far enough down the third baseline to get to first base on our own. So we come to another passage that is so frequently ripped out of context. Some of you know probably already what it is. Philippians 4.13. I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, right? A lot of t-shirts, a lot of cups, a lot of wall art, a lot of excuses. I can do anything. I can, I can get that, that Cadillac because God gives me strength. In fact, this verse has been taken out of context so much, there's a whole new set of coffee mugs and t-shirts and wall art that has come out that says, I can do all things. The reverse, taken out of context. See, what Paul's talking about is not some shallow name it and claim it theology. It's important for us to remember, where is Paul? He's in chains. He's in jail. And he writes to the church in Philippi. The context of, of this verse, I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is, is a life that has been lived full of persecution and suffering and stonings and shipwrecks and imprisonments and death threats. And it was a life that didn't lead to hopelessness. But it was a life that led to this profound statement of hope. Because Paul knows something. Paul knows that he doesn't have to rely on his own strength. He doesn't have to get through the shipwrecks and the stonings and the death threats and the persecutions and the imprisonments on his own. Paul knows, because he's lived it, that his strength, any strength that he has, comes from God. If you ever want to be amazed, go back and read some of the stories of martyrs, particularly some of the stories of some of the Protestant martyrs in England during the, the Reformation and then during Queen Mary's reign 
in England. Martyrs who, who walked willingly into the flames singing hymns. Martyrs who, some of whom had very interesting senses of humor and had funny quips as the flames licked their beards. Brothers and sisters, those martyrs did not walk into the Colosseum to be eaten by lions or into the martyrs' flames on their own strength. Because our strength leads us where? As far in the other direction as fast as we can go. They did it because of the strength of God. There's an old gospel song, and if I had thought about it in enough time, we would be singing it as our closing song, but I didn't, and that's on me. You know it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Hope is possible. Hope is found in the love that God has for you that nothing, nothing, nothing can overcome. Love is found in, in, in God's sovereignty. Hope is found in God's sovereignty and His plan for you that, that, that may include Trials and tribulations and persecutions and highs and lows and maybe even, brothers and sisters, the martyr's fire. But it is a plan for our benefit and for his glory and for our hope. And our hope is found in the fact that we don't have to find the rock to build our house on. That we don't have to stand on shifting sand. Have any of you ever been at the beach and when the surf was, was, was rough and tried to stand in the surf as the sand came out from underneath you? You felt the sifting sands under your feet. You don't have to stand like that in life anymore. You can stand on the solid rock of Christ. I don't know about you, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hymn of invitation this morning is going to be hymn 600. And I want to, I want to tell you right now, today, if, if you need this hope, if you need this unchanging rock underneath you, if you need this love and this plan and this strength, it is yours. It is a gift from God to you. You can have it. Stand and sing together. Yeah. <laughs>
I do hope that you will join us this evening uh, at 7 o'clock. I am interested to hear what Dr. Carula has to tell us about the hope that he finds in a place where it's hard sometimes to find hope. What he has to say about living that hope in the face of the persecution and death squads that can happen in India. Brothers and sisters, there is love and a plan and a strength for you that is found only in Jesus Christ and in his blood and his cross and in his empty tomb. Let's pray.